Wake up, wake up. It's Sunday. We gotta get ready for church. Brian! Brian! Wake up, buddy! Brian, get up, get up! Okay, I'm gonna hop in the shower real quick. You get the kids ready and then we'll get going. No. Okay. Hey, what? you just lay out their clothes because it takes me five minutes. Honey, That's perfect. Seriously. For church. Hey, Brian. Go get your stuff dressed. Did you pick up my stuff from the dry cleaners? Uh, ooh. <sighs> Make break it. Make break it. Make break it. Okay, Jack. I'm gonna make you waffles. Not a sandwich. Yes, but you gotta make it by yourself. Okay. This is all I could find, and the zipper's broken. All right, I'll go grab a safety pin. I got the high score! Anna, what are you doing? Daddy, I'm painting your fingernails. Well, that's great, sweetie, but go get dressed. Morning, Sycamore View. How many of you that, ex that described your ride in the church today? All right, how many of you? You don't even have to have kids or to be married to experience a morning like that. I saw that video a few weeks ago. I've watched it multiple times since. I laugh every time. Not because it really describes me, because I come up early before our kids even wake up, but I know, I know Casey has described what that is like. So many Sundays you get to church and it's like, I'm just, I'm just glad to be here. I'm just glad you were here. I don't care what your morning was like, what your week, your month, your year has been like. I'm just glad you're here. I think one of the most Maybe one of the greatest lies churches speak to people is when they say everyone is welcome here. Because I think most churches actually operate out of like most of you are welcome here or some people are. But it takes guts to say all are welcomed here. If you are here today and there's just a little piece of you that's eager to know Jesus better. We are so thrilled you're here. We want to get to know you, to walk through life with you. And the, the mission of this church, it's on our church. You'll see it around this building. The mission of this church, four words, is helping people see Jesus. We want to help you get a better glimpse of who he is. 
We want to help you see him more clearly. We want to see him more clearly. In fact, in in the Gospel of Luke, there's this little statement in chapter 7 when John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist was this great prophet who came before Jesus, and John the Baptist had been arrested. He knew he was about to die, and he sent some of his disciples to go to Jesus and ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Because I think there were even doubts in him. Like, this is not going down like I thought this was going to go down. Here's what it says, Luke 7, verse 20. When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else are you just another good man who has come to do some good things or are you the messiah and if you're not the messiah will you just tell us so we can be waiting for the messiah to come and jesus responds with this he replied to the messengers you go back and you report to john what you have seen and what you have heard there are times when jesus does not sit people down in a bible class to explain the Bible or explain the, explain the things of God for them. There are times where Jesus performed and put on display the power of God and then asked you to go and be a witness and a testifier to what you have seen and witnessed. Jesus says, you go back and you tell him what you have seen and what you have heard. The first thing he says is this, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. The first thing Jesus says is, you go and you declare how I've given sight to the blind. In the Old Testament, you don't have, I don't think any stories of blind people who were healed, but in the New Testament, you do. In fact, when you read the Gospels, Jesus seems to heal more blind people than anything else. It's not that Jesus preferred blind people over lame people. It's that there's something happening in the Gospels. In fact, Jesus is opening the eyes of people's lives, he's performed miracles, and he's opened the eyes of people's hearts. I want to call this series Refocus. I've been so excited to preach the book of Mark for you. And the way I read Mark, one of the main ways I read this, and what I want to convince you of today is that when you think about Mark and you read Mark, you need to read it through two miracles that happen right in the middle of the gospel of Mark. And they're two different stories of blind men who were healed by Jesus. And I think this is the best way to read the gospel of Mark. Uh, and it's a little ironic that I wanted to preach a, a series called Refocus on the Gospel of Mark. And this past week, I found myself going through some eye exams. Ironic, isn't it? I've had great sight my entire life. I've never needed glasses and contacts, cataract surgery, nothing. I've had great eyesight. There are Sundays where all I bring up here, and I don't expect you to see this, but it's an index card with words and images and little things written in about five-point font, because that's the way I've written my entire life. There are other Sundays where today my whole sermon's on this right here, and it's in nine-point font. And I don't know if it's because I like to save paper. It's just all my life I've written small, and I've never had a problem with it until about six months ago. I read a lot. I'm looking at screens quite a bit. And about six months ago, I found myself, sometimes I would be reading and I would just be like, dude, what is wrong? Like, and it wasn't that it was super blurry. It's just, I could tell something's wrong. And my left eye's been kind of watering for three years. And I just thought, it's just some allergies. It'll be fine. So finally, I was talking to Wynn, one of our members here who knows a lot about eyes. And he's like, you may need to go get an eye exam. So I called Dr. Judy, Dr. Judy Jones, a couple of weeks ago. And I said, I, maybe I need an eye exam. She's like, when's the last time you had one? And I said, the last time I had an eye exam, I was in the third grade. (laughs) Last time I had my eyes checked. 
the best movies, the, the most popular movies in America were Rain Man and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusades. Last time I had an eye test, the number one song was The Wind Beneath My Wings. Last time I had an eye test, the, it was the first year for President George Bush and not the son, the daddy, all right? So I showed up this past Tuesday. I knew there was a chart and I'd have to like close one eye and some, I'm doing, reading things and I had to do a, some machine where I had to push a button every time I saw a line. And then she said, come to this next machine. And at this machine, we're going to blow air in your eye. I was like, I had totally forgot about this machine, the poofy air machine, all right? I was like, since I, last time I had an eye test, has science and medicine not advanced to the point where you don't have to blow in someone's eye? The poofy air machine freaked me out, all right? I mean, because you wait there patiently knowing it's coming. Your blood pressure's going, you're like, ah, and then she's like, you've got to keep your head close, you know, we got to blow it around the poofy air machine. That's what it's called. It's called the poofy air machine, all right? <laughs> so I went through this eye test, and I need to get some reading glasses, all right? Still have decent eyesight, but now I got to get glasses. And I'm like, what's next? You know, <laughs> what's next? I mean, for in my 20s and 30s, I've just been getting sore after playing sports and working now. What's next? Am I just going to start waking up sore, right? Is that, is that what's next? And I looked at Dr. Judy. And I said, Dr. Judy, I, I ask a question to almost everyone when I'm with them, everyone who works. Do you like your job? Does it give you joy? It's one of my favorite questions to ask people. Does, does your work give you joy? It often gives me things to pray for for people. She said, I couldn't do it seven days a week, but I love my job. I love helping people see better. And she said, but that's also the part of my job I don't like. Is when I have to look at someone and tell them there's nothing else we can do. Like your sight's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. Which is something you never hear Jesus say. That when Jesus looks at people, the desire of his heart is only to help improve our sight. Never to look at us and say, there's nothing else we can do. Your sin has been too great. I can't help you see any better. It's something you never hear Jesus say. So if you're taking notes, I want to lay a foundation for the gospel of Mark and then dive into a couple of stories. Here are four things I think you need to know about the gospel of Mark. That number one is this. A word you see show up quite a bit, or words are now or immediately. It's sometimes the same Greek word. It shows up over 40 times in the gospel of Mark. Where if you read the gospel of Luke, the way Luke tells the story of Jesus is it seems like Jesus is walking around the world with a, some kind of napkin hanging out of his shirt, like a bib with a fork and a knife, because Jesus is always eating in the gospel of Luke. He's eating with his followers. He's eating with sinners. He's eating at the Passover. He eats multiple times in the gospel of Luke, but not Mark. In Mark, it's like Jesus has on running shoes, going from one event to the next event. Some people have said the Mark of today would be like a Hollywood director. It's like this movie where we're going from one image to another image. Jesus is doing this and then Jesus is doing, leaving that and he's going right over here and then right after that, immediately after that, Jesus is doing this, which is the second thing. In the book of Mark, Mark focuses a lot more on what Jesus does than on what Jesus says. You'll find Jesus teaching a lot more in Matthew and Luke and in John than in Mark. In Mark, he's a lot more focused on the actions of Jesus so Jesus is going from one place to another, and he's performing miracles and healing uh, diseases. He's driving out demons. 
The third thing is this. I think Mark was probably written in the mid-60s, 64 to 66, maybe 62 to 68, but somewhere in the mid-60s. I think Mark was writing probably to an audience in Rome, which meant he was writing to churches who were suffering under the reign of Emperor Nero. Which meant that I think it's, and you may be like, why does that matter, okay? I'm living in 2018, why does it matter? And I think it matters for this, when you read Mark, you need to know he's writing to a church that is in great stress, they're in great duress, and he's writing to encourage them in the ways of Jesus. Because there's a church that's suffering, and I don't think it was systematic persecution at the time, meaning that Nero was trying to get rid of Christians, (laughs) but there was persecution going on. And you knew that if you chose to follow in the ways of Jesus, at some point, it could mean your life or your reputation. And today, I mean, we kind of have to wonder, even at the times we're living in, like, does it cost us anything to follow Jesus? And if or when it does, are we going to hang on to the story? Number four is this. This is a big one in Mark. Is that the pathway of discipleship, the path of discipleship, is following the suffering Messiah. And Mark paints images of the suffering Messiah, not just as something for you to see, but as a way of life for you to enter into. It's one thing to see the suffering Messiah. It's another thing when the suffering Messiah says, come and follow me. And are we willing to follow him in a way where we begin to suffer in the world so that other people see the greatness of Jesus in and through us? In Mark chapter 1 through 8, you may want to write some of this down if you want to just start reading Mark or listening to Mark. In Mark 1 through 8, it's action, action packed. It's going from one story to another. Jesus heals a disease, and then he's feeding 5,000 people, and then he's driving out demons, and then he's healing more diseases and driving out more demons, and then feeding 4,000 people. And then it's just action packed, every story now, and then immediately, and right after that, 1 through 8 is, it's, it's, you almost like when you're reading, you have to catch your breath. It's like it's going so fast. And 11 through 16 of Mark. All of that is about the passion story. It's the, tri- it's the triumphal entry all the way to the death and the resurrection. So you get the last week of the life of Jesus and the resurrection. And it's right in the middle where things slow down a little bit. In chapter 8, verse 22, all the way through chapter 10, it slows down. And what you have right there in the middle, you have Jesus three times. He predicts his passion. He's trying to teach them over and over again, hey, here's what's happening. I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die. And I'm not just going to die. I'm going to die as a criminal. I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to be rejected by people, and I'm going I'm to raise from the dead. Three different times he's having to teach them this. And in chapter, the end of chapter 8 through chapter 10, Jesus gives some hardcore teachings about discipleship because his disciples still haven't got it. And he's still teaching them, hey, if you follow me, it may, like, what, what do you care more about? Saving your life, losing your soul, or like giving it all for the sake of who I am. And he's giving these hardcore teachings. And then in 822 to the end of chapter 10, it begins and ends with two men who were blind, who were healed by Jesus. Let's look at them. Look in chapter 8, verse 22. <coughs> Excuse me. Here's what we have. Chapter 8, verse 22. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. 
And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? Now, before you go any further, can I point out just a few things? One is this. There are multiple stories in the Gospels where someone is healed by Jesus, and it's not because the person who was healed seemed to have a desire to be healed. It's that they had friends or family or somebody who took hold of them and took them to Jesus. This story begins with there were some people who brought a blind man to Jesus. We aren't given their names. We don't know who they are. We don't know if they're family or friends. It's just some people. We're in need today of some people who will find those in the world and know those in the world who do not see Jesus or they're not seeing clearly. And we do whatever it takes to get them into the presence of Jesus. Because we know if we can get them to Jesus, there can be a touch that can change their life forever. We're in need of some people who don't just pray for others, though it's, I don't want to minimize prayer at all, but we're willing to act upon the prayers we pray. Here's some people who find a blind man, and they know if I can just get this blind man to Jesus, and their names are never told in, in Scripture, their, their fame is, almost goes unnoticed, which makes me wonder today what this would look like. That there's some people who see a blind man, and they know that Jesus could heal him. And they're like, we got to get this blind person to Jesus. But before we ask the blind person to step, to, to stand up and take him to Jesus, can we, let, let's, get a, let's get some videos with this blind man, all right? And now we're going to help him up and we're going to take him to Jesus. But on the way, can you shoot a 20-second video of us walking this blind man to Jesus and get a few pictures, but don't put them, put them on social media yet because we want to have some before and after pictures just in case Jesus heals him. And then when we get to Jesus... And we ask Jesus to heal this man. Let's make sure the video is on. We got our IGs up, all right? This needs to go live and make sure that the sun's not shining in a way where we can't get a good video of this. And then we're going to take some before and after pictures and post this for the world to see. And then we're going to get so many likes and retweets. It's going to be crazy, right? These people then, it was, man, it's just some people. And you're going to bump into some people this week who are in need of some people who will do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus. These people get them to Jesus, and when they get them to Jesus, there is no telling what's going to happen when people come into the presence of Jesus. Because Jesus didn't always go by like the five-step plan of healing people. At first, I'd find a person's name. The second step is, uh, there are times Jesus would speak a word and he could heal someone. And then there are times like this where Jesus takes this person by the hand and leads them out of the village, away from the crowd. Jesus knew, if, I think he knew if I perform this in front of everyone, it's a, it's a testimony. We can put them on display of the power of God. But there are times where Jesus would take people away from the crowd. And I think one of the reasons Jesus would do this is take them away from the crowd is because Jesus knew he didn't want it to become a spectacle. He didn't want this person to think that they were just a pawn in a story of God getting glory. But that God desperately cared for who that person was and who that person had been. So he takes him out of a village and, and then there's no telling how Jesus is going to heal people. He spits on the guy's eyes. This was a puffy air thing, all right? This is Jesus. <laughs> Bowing in the guy's eyes. There are times Jesus gives people wet willies and sticks his fingers in ears. He does weird things sometimes to heal people. But this, this story is a little, it goes, it goes different than you think it may. In verse 24, the guy says, he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. So Jesus heals the guy, but only partially heals him. 
Which makes you wonder, like, was this a power outage on the part of Jesus? You know, like, what, what happened? And it also makes you wonder if this guy knows what trees look like. Was there a time in his life when this guy could see and then he lost his vision? So then after that, what Jesus does in verse 25, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and then his eyes were open and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, don't, don't, go, don't go back into the village. It's like God did something for you. And it's interesting, Jesus performs this miracle and, and I'm sure this guy was ecstatic who was healed. But you don't have like, a lot of Jesus' miracles ended with amazement with celebration, and, you don't, and maybe that happened. We're just not told it happened in the Bible. He just sends this guy away, and he goes. A couple of things about sight. In our lives, we see whatever it is we want to see. And if someone else wants you to see from their perspective, you can choose to do it or not. We see how we want to see. We see what we want to see. If you tell me to look at something, I don't have to look at it. There are times we're driving down the road, maybe we're cruising to Texas or Nashville or somewhere, and there are times I'm like, guys, there's a deer over there, look. Or there's a coyote chasing the deer. Check it out, it's amazing. And here, a lot of times here's how my boys respond. <clears throat> Hold on, Dad, hang on one second. I, I, I gotta wait to push pause, hang on. <laughs> Where is it? And I'm like, it's 17 seconds back there, you missed it. We, we will see whatever it is in life we want to see. So when it comes to a lot of issues happening today, if someone says, hey, will you just take a moment to see it from my perspective, you can make a choice whether you want to try to see through someone else's lens or if you just want to stay in your own lane. Something else about sight is this. Is that um, our heart often follows what our eyes are fixed on. We live in a visual world where a lot of times now you don't have to search for images. Images just come and find you. And our heart will follow what our eyes are fixed on. So you're going to see things every day of your life. And your heart's going to have to make a decision. Am I going to stay fixed on it? Or am I going to reject whatever narrative that thing is trying to invite me into? This is true in so many forms of advertisement. And i I appreciate all people who are using their creative gifts, but there are a lot of times where advertisements are just saying, hey, you need me, and if you don't have me, you're not going to be fulfilled. And your heart's going to have to make a decision. Am I going to live into this narrative or not? This is the way pornography works. There are a lot of times you aren't looking for porn. Porn just finds you. Or here's an image, and you know if you click this, and then you're two clicks away from getting into something you know you shouldn't be in. Our heart follows where our eyes are. But here's what I want you to see in chapter 8 who's really blind in chapter 8. And if you go back just a little bit in verse 14, here's what it says. The disciples had forgotten to bring some bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And they discussed this with one another, and they said, it's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pack up? And they said, 12. And then Jesus said, when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they said, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? 
So you tell me in chapter 8, who's partially blind? Is it the blind man who needed to be healed, or is it disciples who were still failing to see Jesus? After the story of the blind person being healed in chapter 8, verse 31, 33, it says, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, because you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So who's really blind in chapter 8? And I think in chapter 8, there really was a God that Jesus touched and partially healed him and then fully healed him. I believe that story happened. And I also believe Mark is telling that story for you to know that it's often us who are partially blind. And because of sin in our lives or circumstances, we are the ones who can partially see. And sometimes our attitude is, well, at least I see better than I used to see. Instead of seeing that God wants us to see the way Jesus wants us to see. We're awfully partially blind because of things that have happened in life and maybe a lack of a desire to see. Or sometimes we're partially blind because we're focused on the wrong things. And we can even be focused on godly things. You can be looking at the Bible and look in the Bible and want to know the Bible, but if your heart is not focused on Jesus, you're not focused on the right thing. You can be looking at the church, thinking that the church is going to bring satisfaction and fulfillment and blessing into my life, but if our hearts are not focused on the glory and greatness of God and the wonder of Jesus, we're not focused on the right thing. Some of us even today need to ask, do I really want to see, am I partially blind? Or am I allowing Jesus to touch me in a way where I can fully see the way Jesus wants me to see? And often the way spiritual sight works is a complete opposite of the way physical sight works. That with physical sight, it is going to probably fade with age. I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a 95-year-old who would say that their sight is better than it was at 15. But spiritually, it should be the complete opposite with age should become should come better sight and better clarity and if we allow ourselves to age with a narrow mind and narrow sight and not wanting to see clearly the way Jesus wants us to, to to see clearly then when we invest in the next generation what in the world are we teaching them to see with age should come greater maturity and greater sight and greater clarity about the things that matter to God most so turn a couple of pages to chapter 10, verse 46. And here's how this blind story goes. Story of a blind man being healed. Then they came to Jericho. And Jesus at this point is on, after Jericho, he's going straight to Jerusalem. He's, he knows he's, he's about to walk into Jerusalem. He's within days of laying down his life on a cross. And they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, there's a blind man Bartimaeus. This story is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark is the only one who gives him a name, which I think is significant because Mark knows for if you're blind or you're lame or you're mute, there's a good chance that you are, you are socially pushed out. You are on the margins because a lot of people in those days thought that if something was wrong with your body, it was because either you sinned or a parent sinned. So this is a curse of God on you. And to give him a name gave him dignity. It's no longer like when God looks at blind people or when God looks at you, 
God doesn't think it's just that person over there in a corner. It's just a person over there begging. It's a person with a name and a face and a story and a person God created. His name's Bartimaeus. And he's sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him. Like they're telling me, hey, shut up. Like Jesus doesn't have time for you, all right? And they told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. And Jesus said, some of your Bibles, it says Jesus stood still. He stopped, he stood still, and he said, call him over here. Which I find just a little funny because if you're one of his disciples, you may be thinking, Jesus, he's blind. Why don't you go to him instead of telling a blind man to work his way through a large crowd to get to you? But he says, you call him and you tell him to come here. So they call to the blind man, cheer up, get on your feet. Jesus is calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. And Jesus asked this question, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see again. Some of your versions don't have again, just as I want to see. But the word anablepo often carries with it that the blind are seeing again. It's just kind of like an ongoing action. So I think this is a guy who could see in his life, and at some point he couldn't see, and now he says, I want, I want to see again. And Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you, and immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. And when Jesus asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? One of my favorite questions Jesus asks. I think it's still a question that comes from the heart of God today. Because Jesus knew exactly what the blind man wanted. He knew the blind man would like to see. But I think there are times where God wants you to articulate what it is you want of God in your life. Speak it. Declare it in the presence of God. Don't just assume God knows and he doesn't want to hear from you. Tell God what it is you want. What do you want me to do for you? And it's not the first time he asked this. If you back up just a few verses, in chapter 10, verse 35, it says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus, and they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? And they say, We want like the best seats in the house one day. We want to sit on your left and your right. And Jesus gives them a hardcore teaching about discipleship and what it means to take a take up a cup and to be baptized. And so you have Jesus ask two questions to two different people. And the response from his disciples was, we want fame, recognition, status, popularity. And the request from the blind man is, I want to see again. I wonder how many of you in this room today, your response to the question would be, I want to see again. Because I think for some of you, there was a time in your life when you could see. And either because of sin or moral failure or circumstances or busyness or bankruptcy or depression, anxiety, whatever it may be, abuse, there, there are things that have happened in your life that have blurred your vision. And you know there was a time in your life when you could see and you, could, you felt like you could see so clearly, but now you can't. And we want to see better. Sometimes what happens is it seems like when physical health fades, spiritual sight can fade too, or when circumstances happen in life that cause our hearts to fade, our sight fades too. This guy has a request, God, let me see again. These are two blind stories. And I think it's the best way to read the gospel of Mark. 
And there are two, two, two stories that ask a lot of questions of us. How many of you are partially blind, that you have been touched by God, but you have not allowed God to fully give you sight? And how many of us have lost sight before and we need, we need to see again? So let me give you three things, three reflections to take home, pray about, talk in your life groups, talk over lunch, three reflections. Number one is this, I, I think it's time for us as a church and for some of you as people to embrace a persistent refusal to be silent in the presence of God. Don't be afraid to cry out for the miracle. Because in this story, there's this blind man by the road and there's a large crowd, but he knows Jesus is somewhere in there and he is crying out, even though people are telling him to be quiet, I am crying out for God. Have a persistent refusal to cry out for the miracle. It may be for your physical body. Have a persistent refusal to cry out for a miracle. And maybe God will bring it. Maybe God's response will be my grace is sufficient for you, but why not cry out for the miracle? If it's for our spiritual sight, have a persistent refusal to cry out, to see God, to see his way clearer than, it, than it's ever been before. Another take home is this, a reflection is this. If you find yourself lost in a crowd where it doesn't seem like anyone knows your name or who you are, it may be a perfect time for you to take note in your own heart that this is a moment for me to have a touch of God. You had two blind men who most likely both of them spent all of their lives over by the side of the crowd, begging for food, for money, for favor, whatever it may be, almost lost in a crowd where no one knew their name or who they were. And it may be right where you feel like you are today. Is that maybe even God forgot who your name is, what your name is, or who you are, and maybe God has abandoned you. Maybe, maybe it's your way you're thinking. And today, believe that when I am lost in a crowd and it seems like I am forgotten, there is one who never forgets me. He is the one who continues to invite me into who he is. I think one of the reasons Jesus took the blind man away from the crowd was for him to know God is doing this for you. It's not just God putting you on display to show all the other people his power. God cares about you. And thirdly is this, is that there, you may leave here today thinking, I listened to Josh's sermon. I know I need to see better. I want to see Jesus better. I want to see the things of Jesus better. And I just need to try harder to see better. The, I hope you don't hear me saying today, you need to try harder to see better. What I want you to hear me say is you need to surrender to Jesus with everything you have and to trust that in surrender, Jesus helps us see better. It's not you trying better and hopefully you can get, then see Jesus. It's that I'm going to surrender to the greatness of Jesus and trust that he can make my life and things in front of me clearer. I want to ask the elders and prayer leaders, if you will, go around today to receive people for prayer. We have a few spaces that are designated for you. In this moment, you may choose to go to one of the tables to either write out a prayer request, or if you're a teacher, you work for a school in the school system, you're a student, it may be a great time for you to go get a piece of paper if you haven't already. And today there may be a cry of your heart to see better or to see again or repentance that the things I've been focused on are not the main things. And whatever that cry, whatever that invitation of God is, God meets us in this place. And I ask us in this moment to stand together. We're gonna sing a song. And if you wanna make your way to one of our leaders, feel free to do that.